Jonah chapter one, verse four, to chapter three, verse three. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you are here. Thanks for coming. Uh, welcome those of you who are worshiping at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online. Welcome. All right, happy Mother's Day. Uh, listen, uh, we realize that uh, Mother's Day uh, can be an absolutely amazing, wonderful day, or it can be a very, very difficult day and everything in between. 
And because Mother's Day is more complex than it seems like it should be, uh, we ended up finding a blessing several years ago uh, that kind of encompasses whatever your experience is. I want to read it to you now. This is what it says. To those who gave birth this year to the first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mother this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your pain. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. To those who will have emptier nests in the coming year, we grieve and we rejoice with you. <laughs> to those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. To those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. So wherever you are in that range, uh, we want to say thanks for coming. We love you, and I'm glad you're here. All right. We are in the second week of our four-week series on the book of Jonah. Jonah is one of the most familiar stories in the Bible, uh, probably because of the big fish that steals the headlines. We're actually going to talk about the fish today. But Jonah, at one level, is a very simple story. It's a story about a man who runs from God and about God who pursues that man. It's a story of sin and grace, what the Bible calls the gospel, the good news. Because sin, in its most basic definition, is running away from God. Grace, in its most basic definition, is God in his love still pursuing us when we run away. Running and chasing sin and grace. So last week, uh, we saw that Jonah opens up orders from God, and God instructs Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. That's about it. Not a lot of information. He doesn't tell Jonah what will happen when he obeys, what will happen if he disobeys, anything. That's the way God seems to work. He doesn't give a lot of information to his foot soldiers, to people like you or people like me. You open up your orders from God. 
to stop, something that you're doing to go, to give, to forgive, to serve, to whatever it is, you have a choice. And your choice is either to obey or disobey God. Right? You can't stay in the middle. And when you obey him, you're moving closer to him. If you disobey him, you are running from him. And if you are here today and you are disobeying God in any area, you are running from God. You are Jonah. All right? We have a lot to cover this morning. You heard the scripture. It started way in, in chapter 1, goes all the way through chapter 2 to the beginning of chapter 3. Here are my three points. So uh, those of you who are note takers or if you want to know where I'm going, this is what I want to talk about. The storm, the fish, and the change. The storm, the fish, and the change. The change happens right at the end of the passage that we read. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3 says, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. The story begins with Jonah running from God. That ends with him being changed and obeying God. But before we get to the change, we have to talk about the storm and the fish. First, the storm. Jonah is a book that is full of surprises. And the first surprise is that God wants to use Jonah at all. I mean, he gives Jonah this kind of outrageous thing to do. He says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which was a huge city. I want you to preach against it. Now, Nineveh was known for its wickedness. So it's like <laughs> Nineveh was like Vegas before Vegas, right? What happened in Nineveh stayed in Nineveh. And God had had it up to here with Nineveh, but he was going to give them one last chance. Now, if you were God, and that's the way you felt, that you were up to here with a city and you were going to give it one last chance, what would you do? Right? I was thinking about that. I think I would, uh, I would use skywriting. That's what I would do. If I were God, I mean, it just seems like it's very efficient. You hit everybody at the same time. You just say, hey, Ninevites, yeah, you, I'm talking to you. This is God, right? And then I would give them the instructions. But God, instead of doing something himself, which would be infinitely more efficient, he uses Jonah. He tells Jonah to go. Why? Because God loved Jonah. God tells Jonah to do something for Jonah, not just for the Ninevites. Uh, my dad uh, was a pastor for his entire professional life. He was a minister. And uh, about 15 years ago, he wrote a little kind of personal memoir. Uh, he just wrote down a bunch of the stories uh, that he had from being in ministry all those years. Uh, he called it uh, sheepfold scenarios, uh, 50 years of being a shepherd for God's people. And it's full of these uh, little stories of different ways that God used my dad. Now, my, my dad is slipping into dementia uh, right now. He uh, can't remember what he had for breakfast. He, uh, can't, he doesn't read anymore. But when I go to visit him, I will sit and I will read these stories to him. Right? One of the stories I read this week uh, was years ago, he went to visit a couple at their home, uh, Ray and Darlene. And my dad shared the good news of Jesus with them and then asked them, is this something that you want? Would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, right? Darlene says, absolutely, she was ready. Ray said, I would love to, I can't. My dad said, 
Ray, why can't you? And Ray said, well, if I become a Christian, then I'm going to start going to your church. If I start going to your church, I'll, be in, I'll get involved eventually in a Bible study, and then eventually somebody's going to ask me to read, and I can't read. And my dad said, Ray, do you, do you mean you, you don't like to read in public or you don't read very well? And he said, no, Pastor, you don't understand. I can't read at all. I bluffed my way through eighth grade, then I dropped out. Hardworking guy, provided well for his family. No one knew he didn't read. And my dad looked at me and he said, Ray, let me get this straight. So the thing that's holding you back from giving yourself to Jesus is that you can't read? And Ray said, yeah. And my dad said, okay. Ray, will you give your life to Christ if I promise to teach you to read? And Ray said, you would do that? And my dad said, absolutely. My dad had no idea how to teach somebody to read. <laughs> Ray knelt in his living room floor, gave his life to Christ. My dad met with him for two hours, twice a week for two years. And he taught Ray to read. I read my dad that story this week. I said, do you remember Ray? And he said, yeah, I do. God didn't need my dad to do that. God used my dad because he loves my dad. Listen, you may be the only Christian in your whole family. You may be the only Christian at your workplace. You may be the only Christian at your club, whatever it is. And you think, how can God, why would God ask me to be the one? You know why? Because he loves you. And he wants to use you. That was the first surprise. That God would use somebody like Jonah to do what God wanted to have done. The second surprise is that Jonah said no. <laughs> right? Who does that? The God of the universe says, do this. Who says no? That's a trick question. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because the Bible is full of things that God is telling you to do. Telling me to do. You can probably think of something right now. It involves your computer or your time, or your work, or your money, or your family, or whatever it is, when God says to do something, then you can say no. And if you say no, you're running. Jonah says no. And he starts to run. Third surprise is that God doesn't just let him go. God pursues Jonah. And the way that he pursues him is with a storm. God sends a storm. Um, the storm is actually, um, God, is God is staging an intervention for Jonah. Uh, do you know what an intervention is? I, I've been involved with a couple of interventions uh, in my lifetime. If you have never been involved with an intervention, you probably have seen one on TV. You know how they work. The way it works is that there's somebody who is self-destructing. They don't know they're self-destructing. They don't think they're self-destructing, but everyone around them knows and they all gather together, the people who love them the most, gather in a room, and they lure that person into the room, and then they confront them. Why do they do that? Oh, you know why. Because they love them. If you watch it on TV, their hearts are breaking, they are sobbing while they read to this person, they try to convince them. They love them, but the person who is being kind of in the, involved in intervention, they don't feel loved. They feel a weird sense of betrayal. 
They end up saying, if you love me, you just leave me alone. But leaving them alone would be the opposite of loving them. So the way an intervention works is that they, they tell that person what is really going on. And finally, if it, if it really works, what happens is the person goes, okay. After looking at any other way to get away, they say, okay, I get it. I see that I'm self-destructing. I see that I can't change on my own. I see that I need something to save me. And when they get to that point, there's a car waiting outside to take them someplace so that they can experience that salvation, right? All right. So God sends this storm for, no, for Jonah, right? By the way, this is the way uh, God usually works. Like it, when you start to disobey God, you know, I, I've told you, I told you last week that uh, sin is not necessarily fast acting. Uh, it can be slow, but when you start to sin, start to run away from God, storm clouds begin to form. Not because God hates you, but because he loves you. So this storm hits, right? And Jonah starts to realize that it's hitting for him. Oh, by the way, too, you should know, this is one of the um, criticisms people have about Christianity. They say, oh, people only turn to Jesus when their life is in a shambles. True, probably, because it's the only time in a storm is the only time you really see yourself the way you really are and you see your need. But anyway, so the storm hits and this intervention uh, works. Uh, Jonah finally ends up saying, okay, I get it. Yeah, I, I'm the problem. In fact, this is what it says in verses 11 and 12 of Jonah chapter 1. The sailors, they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah says, I get it. Yeah, I'm the problem. He doesn't try to avoid it, doesn't say, well, this is crazy, it's not fair. He says, yeah, it's me. That's confession. That's the first step, the Bible says, toward salvation. One of the things that's interesting, though, is that one of the things that brought him to that place was he saw how his disobedience was impacting other people, how it was impacting the other sailors. You know, we used this Rubik's Cube last week to talk about how God is always doing more than one thing at one time. Listen, whenever you are disobeying God, know that it doesn't just impact you. It's always impacting other people. You may know who it's impacting, you may not know. But your disobedience never is just your own. So Jonah sees that, and he says, okay, it's me. And, and the, the intervention works. They throw him into the sea, right? And the, the car that picks him up is a big fish. Right? And that brings me to my second point, the fish. So Jonah gets swallowed by this fish, and it happens at the end of verse of chapter 1, and it goes all the way to the end of chapter 2. Chapter 1, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Verse 10 of chapter 2, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Now, the way an intervention really works is somebody goes to a place and they stay in that place until they're ready to leave or the people who are there think they're healthy enough to leave. It's the same thing with this. God has the fish vomit Jonah up on shore after Jonah 
when Jonah is absolutely ready. Jonah is, he is detoxing in the belly of a fish, right? And when he gets to that place, and you, we don't have time to go through all that he went through in chapter two, but we know that something happened and he got it, and then God had him come out, right? And the thing that he gets is the verse right before he is uh, let out, and that's verse nine. He says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's it. That was the thing God was waiting for. The moment that Jonah says salvation belongs to the Lord, then he gets vomited up on shore. Salvation belongs to the Lord is the theme of the entire Bible. It is the secret to life. It is the truth that God has been trying to teach you and me in every single circumstance of your life. This is it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And I say that because there are three types of people in the world. There are three types of people here. Right now, you are one of these three types. There are irreligious people. There are religious people, and there are Christian people, okay? The irreligious person uh, doesn't really believe that they need salvation, right? The, the lesson that God is after is that salvation belongs to the Lord. But an irreligious person says, I'm just going to do the best I can. I don't really feel like I need to be saved. I'm okay. That's irreligious. The religious person realizes that they need salvation, but they'll connect it to what they do. They connect it. They say, I need to go to church more. I need to be more like Jesus. I need to try harder. I need to be the best person I can be. And if I'm the very best person, the very best version of myself, then I will be saved. When I die, I'll go to heaven, right? That's a religious person. By the way, that's uh, every other religion in the world teaches that system. Every other religion in the world. And then there's the Christian who says, I get that I need to be saved. My problem is I cannot save myself. If I'm going to be saved, then God's got to do it. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, for most of us here, I would think because you're here, you're either in a category two or category three. You're either uh, religious or Christian, or you're bouncing between the two. And the way that we bounce between the two is when we find ourselves in a storm, we end up getting frustrated with God. And we, said, I, we say, I don't, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand. I don't deserve this, right? And I say that then you are bouncing back and forth because then you don't really understand salvation comes from the Lord. Because salvation in the Bible is connected to grace. And there are two parts to grace. And if you miss either one of these parts, you miss it completely. Here are the two parts of grace. Grace is a completely undeserved gift from a completely unobligated giver. Grace is a completely undeserved gift from a completely unobligated giver. And we miss one or the other. Right? This is one way to think of it. If you have a child that's a very... Uh, undisciplined child, a rebellious child, a hurtful child, you continue to help that child because not because they deserve it, they are undeserving, but you are obligated 
because you're the parent. All right? That's one, but not the other. That's not grace. The second uh, kind of illustration is, let's say your, your child has a, an amazing teacher in school, and you decide to give that amazing teacher an extravagant Christmas present at Christmas. That is, you are absolutely unobligated to give them a present, but they deserve the present. That's not grace. Real grace is a completely undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. And that's very, very rare. When you miss one or the other, you will miss grace completely. And that will make you bounce between being a Christian and being religious. The greatest gift that God can give you is a deeper understanding of what grace is so that you will know deep down in your heart today that salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? That brings me to the change, to the change. So the story begins with God giving an order to Jonah and Jonah saying no and he runs off. By chapter three, what happens is that Jonah, God gives him the same order and instead of running away, he runs toward God and obeys him. Now, the question is, what happens? Now, if you, uh, if you read what uh, Jonah is saying in chapter 2, uh, there's something that struck me as strange. That in, in verse 4 and verse 7, he mentions the temple. He longs for the temple. And the reason that struck me as strange is I was thinking, if, if I was... If I was ever stuck in the belly of a fish, uh, I don't think one of the things, I mean, I love this church. I really do. But I really don't think I'd be going, oh, I missed that 10 o'clock service. <laughs> More than anything, I just want to, to worship in the 10 o'clock service. I think I'd have other things on that list. Jonah says, I long for the temple. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the temple was where you went to find forgiveness. And the way that you found forgiveness is through a substitutionary sacrifice that you would bring with you. That you would bring a lamb or a goat or a ram and you would say, this one will take the punishment that I deserve and I will walk away and my sin will be covered. What Jonah is saying is I long for forgiveness from God, and I know it comes through a sacrifice. So I told you in point number two that you will never really understand grace until you understand that it's a completely undeserved gift from a completely unobligated giver. But the only way you, that grace will ever change you is when you recognize the cost of that grace. The co because love is always connected to cost. You can tell how much someone loves you by what they're willing to do for you. Jesus would say that greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends, and then Jesus lays down his life. Like Jonah is in the belly of the fish, and he begins to think, wait, I need forgiveness. Salvation comes from the Lord, and that forgiveness involves a sacrifice and that sacrifice tells me how much God loves me. And when he got that, he began to change. If you ever get that, 
you will change. And there are two ways that you will change. You will change the way you see them, and you will change the way you are. You will change the way you see them and change the way you are. Right? The, the change in the way that you see them is verse 8. It's what Jonah says. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Those who pay regard to vain idols, what Jonah is talking about, he's talking about the Ninevites. He's not talking about Israelites. He's saying, okay, I get it, that those who, who, who worship idols will miss the steadfast love of God. And the epiphany for Jonah is this, that God loves the Ninevites as much as he loves Jonah. When you really understand grace, you will begin to see people differently. You will see your co-workers differently. You will see your family members differently. You will see your neighbors. You will see your enemies differently because you will begin to see them as people that God loves just as much as he loves you. And then that will change the way you are because what you will find yourself doing when you really understand grace and you begin to see them differently, you will begin to run toward God and not away from God. And what happens then is that God begins to use you to impact the lives of other people. For Jonah, he impacted 120,000 people. My dad impacted a, a book full of stories of how God used him in the lives of others. What will God do with you? If you decide that you will obey him, if the, the knowledge of the grace of God goes so deep in you that you begin to see different people differently, what kind of stories will you have to tell when you realize deep down that salvation comes from the Lord? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so grateful. I'm grateful that uh, even when we run from you, uh, you come after us. And I recognize that for many of us, when you come after us, it, it doesn't feel like love. Sometimes it feels like you hate us, but you don't. I pray for every person here, if they are going through a storm, I pray that they will experience what Jonah experienced in the midst of his storm. That, the, that they might understand at a deeper level that salvation comes from you that grace is a completely undeserved gift from an unobligated giver. And then I pray that you would help us all to see people in our lives differently, to become what you want us to become, so that you can use us, not because you need us, but simply because you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.